Welcome back to episode 28, where I speak with Scotty Hawker, one of New Zealand's top ultra trail runners, having made the podium at the 2019 and 2021 editions of UTMB. He is also a well-respected running coach, so it is fair to say Scotty lives and breathes the sport. It was insightful to hear how Scotty approaches his nutrition and training alongside his own philosophies with coaching and life. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Nourish Your Potential podcast. My name is Kushla Holdaway and I'm a registered and accredited sports dietitian based in beautiful New Zealand. I am so glad you have joined me on this podcast where we will discuss science, sports nutrition, running and physiology alongside interviews with athletes, experts and other health professionals. Whether you're listening to this podcast during your commute, your training session or whilst cooking up a storm in the kitchen, you can be reassured information is discussed in a thought-provoking, evidence-based and easy-to-understand manner so that you have more tools in your nutrition toolbox to be your best self. Thanks for joining me, Scotty. It's been a bit of a juggle getting a time to catch up with you, coming back from UTMB with travel and Wi-Fi and everything else. But I've been really looking forward to talking with you. So for those who may know you or may not, um, incredible runner, but what other crazy stuff do you get up to and who are you? Um, yeah, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, I'm Scotty from, yeah, from Christchurch, New Zealand. And um, yeah, probably the last... Yeah, I guess sort of eight or nine years I've been travelling overseas racing and stuff. And, um, yeah, fortunate enough, it's my job and has been for the last probably six years of that. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, yeah, running is a massive part of my life and um, kind of seems to be when I'm not training specifically for a race, I'm still kind of out in the mountains and, yeah, just going on some sort of missions and stuff. And, um, yeah, quite enjoy a bit of, bit of bike riding and mountain bike and stuff like that as well. So, um, you know, just spend as much time as I can outside and, um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's all good fun, so... All good co- cross training, and not many people could say they get paid to run or you know as their job. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Like it. it's been a been kind of a work in progress, um, I guess, over the years. And um, yeah, kind of just yeah, gone to a point um, a few years back now where um, yeah, could sort of be able to do it full time. And um, yeah, sort of still doing a little bit of coaching stuff, which I was doing before I started, I guess, kind of running um, professionally. And um, but yeah, sort of combining the two um, gives me pretty good balance and stuff, which is nice. So. Um, Yes, team seems to be working pretty well so far, so I hope a few more years to go yet. Mm. Has your life always included running, or is it more in your adult life? <clears throat> um, yeah, kind of, I guess running as like a sport, as a kind of single sport, I guess, yeah, it kind of probably wasn't until, yeah, I guess I got a little bit older. I kind of dabbled a little bit when I was younger. Um, I used to play soccer at quite a high level and, um, and stuff like that, and um, yeah, so I guess kind of, yeah, fitness and being fit and um, stuff like that was always part of, um, you know, playing soccer and, um, yeah, I was kind of, I guess, you know, I was always kind of the fit guy on the team and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, running to sort of run to do races and stuff, um, yeah, probably my late teens, I did a couple of um, little running events, um, but I wouldn't, yeah, sort of really, I guess, call myself a runner. I was just kind of the fit soccer player that, you know, just enjoyed running sort of thing. Um, but then, yeah, it wasn't until I sort of, um, yeah, must have been, 
yeah, we were like 11 years ago now, so it must have been yeah, mid, mid-20s. And, um, yeah, I'd, I'd wanted to do the coast-to-coast for years. And so, um, yeah, my, um, my wife and I at the time, we were looking to move to Australia. And I sort of said to her, I was like, far out. If I don't do the coast-to-coast now, I'm going to be like 40 years old, big beer gut, wondering, you know, what could have been sort of thing. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so that was back in 2011. So I, um, yeah, decided to uh, to sign up. And, um, yes, yeah, so early 2011 did the coast-to-coast. And that's kind of what... Yeah, it kind of started it and spurred the kind of endurance sport kind of buzz. And, um, yeah, so I guess from then it's just been one thing to another. So I didn't actually know you'd done the coast-to-coast. Yeah, I did the two-day individual, um, yeah, back in 2011. So, um, yeah, it was kind of um, – yeah, it wasn't the best sort of event, I guess. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing and didn't really know what I got myself in for. But um, And I actually – I tore my lateral meniscus during the, the mountain run, which wasn't great. But um, – yeah, got got it done, and um, yeah, it kind of still went all right. Um, but then, um, yeah, sort of from there, ended up moving over to Western Australia about a month later. Um, and um, yeah, kind of the idea of continue. The idea was to continue with multi sport because um, I did enjoy the training, kind of building up to it. And um, I used to do a lot of whitewater kayaking, so I was pretty pretty happy and pretty confident in the water as well. Um, but then you yeah, got to Western Australia, and um, yeah, kind of running and trail running was just a bit easier logistically, and kind of meeting new people and stuff. So. Um, it ended up sort of going more in the direction of um, air trail running. So, mm. And before doing Coast to Coast, how many times had you gone through some parts of the course? Oh, heaps, yeah. yeah. So I was um, I was actually guiding people um, for their grade two certificates um, in the kind of six to eight months leading up to the Coast to Coast. And so, yeah, I was doing probably minimum two, maximum five kind of river trips per week, um, taking clients either, you know, through the gorge or through Woodstock or, you know, just other other parts of the course and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, was, I knew, I mean, I knew the river as good as anyone, I guess, that year, which was um, definitely pretty helpful, um, you know, sort of knowing where I was and um, and stuff. And, and to be honest, like from my what would have background, the, yeah, the grade two of the, the WiMAC wasn't, um, you know, sort of super exciting or challenging. So it was more just a case of just, you know, kind of get the paddle fitness up and, um yeah, didn't need to worry sort of too much about the skill set or the technique kind of stuff because I had that, yeah, relatively, you know, kind of sorted out, so. And it's helpful if you live locally with regards to the course that you can get out on it because there's definitely an advantage point yeah. there. Mm. Oh, massive, yeah. I mean, for the kayak league, but then also even for, like, the goat pass run. Mm. Um, I mean, there's no there's no secrets there that if you kind of know some of the kind of the local routes, um, you know, they can definitely be a lot quicker and stuff. And, um, yeah, definitely, yeah, did the mountain run quite a few times as well. Um, in the build-up to when I did the race, and actually haven't haven't done the the goat pass run since 2011, so um, it'd be pretty cool to yeah, finally go back and um, and do it again, which I'm hoping to do this summer, which will be pretty cool. Oh, wicked! And with the, your wealth of experience of trails and races all over the world, how does goat pass compare? Because I find it pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really is. Say like, and it's kind of um with goat pass, you kind of yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Like just um. Yeah, the amount of times, obviously, that you're crossing the river and boulder hopping and the type of terrain and stuff. Um, and, you know, while I, you know, dare I say it, it's a relatively shortish run compared to other stuff I do, it definitely, yeah, packs a punch. And, um, yeah, I mean, it'll, to be honest, it'll be cool to go back through it now, I guess, with, yeah, 10 plus years trail running experience and having run all over the world and to sort of go back and, um, yeah, with, I guess, you know, a more advanced kind of trail running skill sets it'll be pretty cool to um yeah to see you know i guess how 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 long it takes now versus you know 10 years ago when i thought i knew what i was doing back then when i really had no idea so um definitely looking forward to you know getting back being back through over summer and um yeah maybe even a couple of times would be pretty cool because you remember it being a pretty cool run 
Yeah, it is certainly something special. And it's even like until you get out on that course, you can't practice it anywhere else because there is nothing else like it. It's no. very unique. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I listened to the podcast you're on with Dirt Church, which was not long after UTMB, uh, and I don't want to focus <laughs> okay. too much on that. But I would, re- I think, yeah, now, yeah. given it, a bit of time has passed, and you probably had yeah, time yeah. to reflect on it, um, how are you feeling now about what happened this year? Yeah, uh, to be honest, it's as I sort of said to Matt, like uh, UTMB this year, just it kind of just didn't even get started, like, and it was just. It, it wasn't a case of me sort of like post-race going, you know, like, oh, did I do enough? Was I preparing how I should have been? You know, there, there, I've got no questions on where I was at kind of physically and mentally going into that race. Um, and it was literally just getting some kind of virus or something, you know, before the race. Um, and so kind of because it kind of because of that and I guess how bad it was, it's just for me, it's just been like, hey, just put it behind you and just. To be honest, I, I don't even really think about it. Like, it was frustrating initially because it just sort of felt like an opportunity kind of missed just because, yeah, I'm as fit as I've ever been. Um, I'm training more consistently than I've ever trained. And I was just excited to just race and just to kind of just to see whether, like, what I'd been working on was going to be good enough to, yeah, hopefully get me a good result um, again. And I think just, yeah, because I didn't get the chance to kind of bash heads with, you know, the, the lead guys, um, that's probably the most frustrating part just because yeah I just I just couldn't wait for that challenge and I was just really looking forward to it so um yeah that's frustrating but it's one of those things it's just it's just one race like even for me doing it as my job and UTMB is a big race and blah 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 like it is just one race you know like there's going to be or as, as I said you know I've got the crater room coming up this Sunday and then two weeks later I've got Australia Australia and then six weeks after that I've got UTMB Thailand um and so yeah there's plenty more race opportunities coming up and so it's just a case of just yeah, learn what I can from UTMB, which there's definitely been learnings. And, um, yeah, just as, as always, you know, just get back on the horse and back out in the mountains and um, just, yeah, kind of get back to work, I guess. So Yeah, positive mindset and forward thinking, I think it always helps. Um, but yeah, still, it, certainly I can understand it's disappointing regardless when you've trained so hard for something. But um, yeah. what, what did you take away from that whole experience? Like you said, you've learned a lot so what did you learn from that yeah of yeah I up? think to be honest probably the yeah the biggest takeaway I think was just I think in hindsight which obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing um <laughs> but I think it was just probably as much as I was kind of trying not to I was um yeah I feel like I was maybe a little bit too fixated with the sort of the outcome rather than the process that was kind of going to get me there to where I wanted to be um even though yeah it's not my first rodeo at UTMB like I know how the race goes I know how the race week goes and all that kind of stuff but yeah, I think naturally this year, because I had been third at UTMB in 2019, and then last year I got second at the CCC, and so, yeah, there was, you know, there was probably external pressure, but also I feel like I probably let a little bit of the internal pressure from myself and my, my own expectations kind of take over a little bit, which, yeah, I guess is, um yeah, a natural process when you've had success, you want to have success again, and so there's going to be an element of that, Um and so, yeah, I think probably moving forward into the next sort of few races, um, yeah, just kind of for me and, and I've been speaking to, you know, friends and family and my coach about it and just sort of not forgetting what got me to the big dance in the first place and what's kind of got me success in the first place. And that's just kind of just going into races and just, I mean, it's kind of cheesy and cliche as it sounds, just going in and having fun and enjoying it as much as I can because when I'm kind of doing that, I'm running at my best and I'm, you know, performing at my best. And so I just need to 
kind of just dial it back a touch with regards to like what am I trying to achieve and more focus on okay well what can I you know kind of do and focus on that's actually going to get me to you know where I want to be which I mean just sort of yeah let it take care of itself sort of thing so and when you're out are on the start line for a race that means a lot to you you've worked really hard towards and you are of course like you said you're wanting to enjoy it so you perform your best how do you manage dealing with you know nerves or pressure on yourself to do well yeah, I think when I, when I find out, I'll let you know. It, it's kind of, um, I don't know, like, it's kind of weird for me now because um, yeah, I guess like I've been in the sport a while now and um, yeah, like I don't, I don't want to say like I don't have news because I mean, I think everyone has news whether you're running ultra marathons or whether you're playing NBA or whatever sport you're in. Like there's always an element of, hey, this, this event or this race means something to me. So there's kind of that part of it, but it's not like it doesn't keep me up at night like I slept you know 10 hours the night before the race and you know like I'm not kind of worried about the race um but in saying that I think just um remembering like why I'm doing it in the first place which yeah again it's sort of real like unicorns and rainbows kind of stuff in the sense that it's not like anything overly scientific other than that like I started running in the first place and I want to be in the mountains for me and, and only for me because I get so much enjoyment out of it and I think for me, even though it is my job, like I don't want to lose sight of like why I do it and why I enjoy it. And I don't want, even though it's kind of paying the bills, I guess, in a way, like I don't want that to sort of detract or take away from trail running and its kind of purity in the sense that, yeah, I mean, I, I just love chucking on my shoes and getting out there as much as the next person, regardless of, you know, who they are or what race we're doing or whatever it is, you know, it's just it's just nice to be out in the mountains and in the trails and stuff. So um, yeah, just sort of trying to remember that, yeah, races are cool and they give us focus and they give us direction and a bit of purpose. But at the end of the day, like even, like I said to people, like, yeah, UTMB was on this year and it's going to be on again next year and the year after and the year after. And that's the same for, you know, any race. And so it's like, yeah, you want to focus on what you can to, you know, give yourself the chance of a good race and stuff. But you need to remember to enjoy the process because um, yeah, if you lose sight of that, then it's kind of like, yeah, what's, what's the point sort of thing. So, mm. And with all this preparation you do and feeling your best self to get out on the trails and, you know, push it pretty hard, I can imagine in your week it's not just running. There'd be a lot of other stuff that goes on. So, like, what does it look like for you in a typical week? Is there strength work involved? And what other ways do you integrate recovery and other magic tricks? Yeah, there should be more strength work and my physio is always on my case doing stuff. But um, yeah, like definitely a bit of strength work and um, yeah, a lot of, um, to me, I found sort of a, I guess a bit of a routine that works for me as far as like body maintenance and stuff goes. Um, and yeah, just um, normally I'm getting, yeah, I, I mean, as kind of glamorous as it sounds, but it's obviously not, I, I get a sports massage every week, which isn't like a nice, you know, kind of <laughs> massage with nice meditation music playing or whatever. It's normally like elbows and different body parts digging into you know, legs and backs and all sorts of stuff. But, um, yeah, just really, like, each week and each day, to be honest, just focusing on looking after my body. And um, and it's also, you know, with regards to, like, sleep and recovery, but then also just, yeah, food and nutrition and making sure that I'm, yeah, A, fueling my body well to be able to do the training that I want to do, but then also, yeah, fueling it well from a recovery sense and just making sure that, um, yeah, I'm kind of ticking, ticking all the right boxes as far as, like, hey, there's this race and here's how I'm going to train for it, but then here's all the stuff, like, outside of the specific run training here are the things that I'm going to do to, you know, enhance my chances of success, you know, with training and getting into a good flow with training and consistency. And um, it's all, yeah, a lot of different pieces to the puzzle. There's not just, it's not just, you know, go out and run hard and train hard, and then you're going to get a result or, a, you know, finish a race. You know, there's a lot more to it. And, that, and that's for me and that's for everyone, you know, anyone standing on the start line, there's, you know, a lot goes into it. Mm. 
with the food side of things, what has yep. been some of your, what have you learned the most over your time with, say, day-to-day nutrition? And have you changed anything recently that you feel like has really upped your performance? Yeah, um, I think, and as I speak to, like, my coaching clients a lot, is just um, like erring on the side of more is better. Like, and obviously that's a massive generalisation, but, um, you know, the whole idea of, you know, athletes sort of, you know, limiting calorie intake and, you know, I think for, you know, maybe for some sports, for some people or depending on what you're doing with your life, like, yeah, maybe there's times where you do need to do that. But I just feel for, yeah, trail and ultra runners um, and obviously everyone is different, but like the kind of the stresses that you're putting on your body, you know, your musculoskeletal system and everything else is kind of like, yeah, you really need to be fueling yourself well for that. And um, that's one thing I've sort of always made sure that I've focused on is just, um, you know, just, just eating plenty of food and obviously not just, you know, munging back on, you know, junk food and all stuff like that, making sure it's, you know, kind of wholesome food and stuff, but just making sure that, yeah, it's like training starting to increase my, you know, nutrition intake in general is starting to increase and sort of trying to, you know, match in a way, I guess, you know, what I'm doing with training. I mean, the same same token though as well, like if I if I do have periods where I'm like backing off on training or if I've, you know, got an injury or something, um, then yeah, I'm probably just going to be a little bit more mindful of, you know, maybe how much I'm eating because if I, I know for like for my body type and stuff, like if I try and eat what I'm doing, you know, when I'm training, you know, 15 to 20 hours a week and then all of a sudden I'm, you know, not training or whatever, um, I blow up in weight massively, which um, just becomes sort of like a, a hurdle that I have to overcome kind of unnecessarily when I want to get back into training. So it's more just being mindful of, you know, different stages of kind of where I'm at and stuff and just focusing on things. And yeah, that's, I guess maybe it's a little bit different for me because it is my job and, and I do need to be kind of, you know, always, you know, focusing on things and, and keeping where I need to be. Uh, and then, yeah, as far as like nutrition goes, like um, I've been pretty much for the last probably 12 years or so I've been sort of vegetarian slash vegan chopping and changing a little bit and then I had about 12 months um probably about two years ago to about six months ago um where I started to eat a little bit of meat again um and so yeah I've gone back to almost the plant-based diet again and um yeah it's it's always for me it's just been a case of just what food and what fuel kind of works for me it's never really been sort of um you know, I guess about the animals or whatever, which each their own, you know, it's it's fine. Um, to be fair now, it is more about the animals for me. I've watched too many documentaries on, on Netflix and whatnot and um, it's hard to ignore for, and that's just for me personally. But, um, yeah, I just, again, I just, I know that I'm feeling really good at the moment and I know that, yeah, for me, eating a, either vegetarian or, you know, mostly plant-based diet is something that works for me individually and, um, yeah, so I'm just sort of, you know, rolling with that. And, um, yeah, and, and again, um, my training this year has been, as consistent and, and high volume and better quality and, than what I've ever kind of trained in the past. So, um, yeah, it seems to be working pretty well and the recovery is going really well as well, which is normally a pretty, pretty good telltale sign, I think, when you've got things relatively dialed in is, um, yeah, when you're sort of, yeah, I guess soft tissue injuries and niggles and stuff are a little bit less frequent and stuff like that, then you're, you're normally pretty on the money. So, mm. And did you notice any major differences in like having, say, a vegan versus vegetarian versus omnivorous diet with your running and how you're feeling? Nah, not not really. To be honest, like I I have, I guess I've won races eating you know steak, eggs, and chips, and I've won races eating plant based and everything in between. You know, so it's just um yeah, I don't know. I think for everyone, it's just kind of like working out a game plan that works for you. Um, I think for me, my sort of guidance to people in general is like if you can not necessarily be taking out meat but if you can be eating more and more you know plants and vegetables and stuff like that then that's going to be a good thing 
Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, if people want to eat meat for me personally, I'm like, eh, you know, if you want to eat meat, eat meat doesn't, you know, whatever. And same thing, if people want to be plant-based, they can be plant-based. And if people want to be, you know, pescatarian or whatever it is, it's just, I don't know, it's just up to people to decide on what works for them. And um, I think just for athletes, as long as they're kind of getting in what they need to be getting in and fueling themselves well for what they're doing, I think that's the, that's the most important thing regardless of kind of, yeah, I guess what you're putting in sort of thing. Yeah, definitely, and way too many athletes under fuel. <laughs> oh, yeah, mass- yeah, massively. Like, I just, I literally had a phone call with a client this morning talking about it, and um, and I just said, you know, like, you just, you, you can't be thinking, like, oh, you know, lighter is better, or I'm not going to have to carry this five kilo up the mountain. You know, obviously, there's a balance, and there's a, you know, there's a fine line sometimes, and, um, yeah, like, if someone is, like, you know, excessively overweight, or they, they know that they're overweight from previous things in the past, then it might be, like, you know, okay, you know, Frank or John or Mary or Joan or whoever it is, it might just be like, hey, let's just maybe concentrate a little bit more on like portion sizes. And, and again, that's just me giving general, hey, I'm Scotty, I've done a bit of running, I've had a lot of experience with clients. This is just some, maybe some helpful pointers and direction. Um, but yeah, sometimes there's a case of like, hey, let's, you know, maybe instead of, you know, loading up your plate with a bit massive big mountain of pasta, maybe have a slightly smaller portion and then wait 20 minutes. And then if you're still hungry in 20 minutes time, then you can um you know go back for some more sort of thing but um i think for people in general just um yeah making sure that they're not sort of you know overeating too much but yeah as you say i think under eating is probably the the biggest problem so mm-hmm. yeah yeah and with your with your own coaching uh how would you describe your approach and what makes you unique yeah, I think um, probably, yeah, I guess the probably unique part, I think, is just the um, the kind of the contact with, with clients and stuff and going through things um, and just, um, yeah, being able to sort of like adapt the plan because normally with clients, I'm writing the plan weekly sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to adapt the plan and, and, and always kind of making sure that we're making the most of opportunities and moments during the week and stuff um, and, and, and being able to adjust it as well because, yeah, I mean, as, as you know, as a runner, like no two days slash two weeks are ever the same sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it is a case of just making sure that you can adjust and adapt things as you're needing to. Um, and, yeah, as far as like sort of methodology and stuff goes, um, yeah, definitely like I'd like to have athletes sort of build a pretty good, strong aerobic base initially and also kind of with that often, you know, goes with regards to the conditioning and stuff that they're going to be kind of needing to, yeah, kind of be able to handle what we're going to be wanting to throw at them later on sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, often it's a case of just teaching clients about being patient and, you know, learning to run to feel and, you know, perceived effort type stuff. Um, and then, yeah, and, and a lot of that partly is in turn because pretty much, yeah, 95% of the people that I coach are all doing trail running events, mountain running, ultra marathons. And so, yeah, kind of splits minute per K pace, you know, all that kind of stuff isn't quite as relevant as what it would be if people are training for a road marathon or a 10K or, you know, whatever it is. And so, um, yeah, I think that probably the, that's part of the reason why, yeah, I kind of, I guess, steer my clients in a particular direction or have a particular style, you know, with the kind of the training and stuff. Um, and then also as well, I think, yeah, I've been kind of in the sport now for, yeah, probably close to, yeah, 13, 14 years. And so I've made, a massive amount of mistakes over that time and learned a lot myself as an athlete and, and, and have kind of, you know, been able to develop on that a lot and having worked with a few coaches as well in the past. And so, yeah, I guess there's a lot of experience there that I can hopefully help, yeah, the clients that I coach. And if they can make, you know, not quite as many mistakes as what I made, then, um, you know, that's obviously going to be helpful for them as well. So, Mistakes and setbacks are always an opportunity to learn and grow from, though. So... Are you comfortable to like give us an example of a, a really big learning curve for you with something in your running career? Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, literally one of my first ultra marathons, and it's actually a nutrition mishap, which is often a massive part of you know trail and ultra running. And um, yeah, I remember the first um, first tra- trail ultra marathon I did was a seventy five k race in Western Australia, and I'm um, a good um, friend over here. I'm um, a guy Marty Luke, who's a you know legend of trail and ultra running in New Zealand, and he's been hundred k record holder. So, oh, you know, Scotty, you need to you need to get in some protein during this race because you're going to be you know running for longer than three hours. This and so I like, had protein, so. You know, I went down to the supermarket and bought some like twiggy sticks and salami and cabanossi and um and cashew nuts and I was like, oh sweet, you know, protein, I got that sorted. And um I remember the first day station I came to in at like twenty K and ate a couple of bits of um yeah, the salami or twiggy sticks, cabanossi, whatever, and it sort of like had a mouth and I was like, Oh, okay, all right. And then by the time I got to the next checkpoint at thirty K, I was just like, Nah, this is not gonna be working. So then I ended up just literally having gel after gel every 20 minutes 25 minutes for the rest of the race and there's no more protein going in because yeah the idea of like eating these meat sticks you know during the race where i was running you know somewhere around probably 440 for five minute k pace um just wasn't happening so to think sort of i guess how i used to fuel and my race nutrition strategies you know back then and you know 2011 versus you know now sort of you know 10 11 12 years later is um yeah massively different but um yeah, it's one of those things. It's all you know, part of it, part of your story and part of the mistakes, and that's all just you know, part of um, you know, sort of doing what we're doing. And then even nowadays, to be honest, some days you know, some races I go into feeling like I've got my nutrition plan so finely tuned and it worked at the last race, and then for some reason it just goes, you know, goes up in the air, if, you know, for this next race kind of thing. And there's no, you know, there's no guarantees, so it's always something to yeah, keep focusing on. It's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah. What well, yeah. What does your like for something like UTMB? How do you prepare for that nutritionally? Like, what's your plan in the race, like, roughly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, obviously, um, for, like, races like UTMB, kind of, yeah, super long ultra-endurance events, um, like, variety is always key, obviously, and just having heaps of different options. And it doesn't matter how much you think you love a particular drink or a particular gel or a particular type of food or whatever it is, you're going to get sick of it after 15 to 20 hours or more. And so, yeah, having heaps of options is, is really important. Um, and so, yeah, for me, like I try and sort of have like a more of a whole food sort of, I guess, base or core of my nutrition plan. Um, and so that's sort of things like um, mashed potato, um, sushi rice, avocado balls, um, bananas. I'll have uh, Marmite and avocado sandwiches. I'll have peanut butter sandwiches, um, some chips. Um, and then sort of, I guess, supplementing the kind of solid food and stuff. I'll then have, yeah, all the usual kind of suspects with regards to, you know, gels and drinks and stuff. Um, I've been using the spring energy gels a lot um, in the last 12 months, which are just, yeah, I'm not sponsored by them, but like they are just, yeah, a product that just works really well for me. Um, and I just love the kind of the whole food element kind of nature to those kind of products, which is really cool because, yeah, I mean, and again, I still take them. Like I, I do take other gels as well, but like when you kind of, for me, can't pronounce or know what the ingredients is on the back and there's all these numbers and this and that. It's not, you know, shall we say great stuff when you think about what you maybe could be having, but also it's like sometimes, you know, we are just taking things or using things to serve a purpose in the sense of using, you know, gels or drinks or whatever it is. And, and it's, you know, part of the game. I mean, even, you know, the All Blacks drinking Powerade, they could probably be having arguably better things, but it's just you know, kind of part of the sports world and, and products and stuff. But, um, yeah, I think for trail and ultra, definitely having like a more sort of whole food, solid food kind of, you know, kind of base is, um, is definitely going to be working better. And also as well, you know, there's just, you know, less, less chance I find getting, you know, sick of all the sugary, sweet kind of stuff as well. Um, and then also as well, your stomach obviously does have a pretty hard time after a certain amount of time when you're starting to, you know, go gel after gel after gel for two, three, four, five, ten hours kind of thing. So, 
Um, I think, yeah, having that balance between some of those products, and they are great products, you know, they, they definitely serve a purpose and they work well and, um, and stuff. But I think, yeah, for anything kind of more than, for me personally, kind of four to five hours, um, I can't just rely on, you know, gels and sports drinks um, because you just end up getting sick of them. And then, um, yeah, and obviously yeah, if your stomach kind of turns in a race or stops working how you want it to work, um, it doesn't matter how, you know, strong your legs are because you're not going to be able to run how you want to run sort of thing. And the beauty of ultra events like milers and 100k is you cannot run at a high intensity for that long so when the intensity is lower you tend to stomach more whole foods anyway which gives you so many more options and flavors and yeah 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 exactly and that's what i say to people i sort of because people sort of go oh you know like mashed potato or or rice and i said yeah if you're running at an intensity that you can't eat that you're running too fast or you're (laughs) pushing too hard you know um and it's a classic telltale like you know people will sometimes you know finish the race and go oh oh, yeah, my stomach turned to crap or whatever it is. It's like, no, 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 it wasn't your stomach. It's because you were pushing too hard and, you were, you know, your muscles were requiring too much blood and everything for them to work how they want to work and then all of a sudden the stomach's going, no, 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 we're, we're not going to do this. We can't handle this kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, people getting the intensity right in races, um, you know, that's a big part of people having, you know, a happy stomach on race day for sure. Have you ever had to pull out of a race due to stomach issues? Oh, definitely, yeah. I, I'd lose count of how many I've had to, yeah. Yeah, I had um, 2000 and, uh, I think it was 2018, I, I DNF'd like seven out of nine races pretty much because of stomach issues. Um, and it just got to a point where, yeah, I just kind of almost didn't really know what to use or how to change things or whatever. And, um, yeah, I ended up working with nutritionist Stephanie Gaskell from over in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, she helped me massively um, just working sort of stripping things right back and working out kind of what was going on kind of like pre-race as far as preparing in the days and weeks leading into the race and then also some race day stuff as well so um because i think as an athlete and again regardless of what level you're at or what you're trying to do like to have your stomach kind of derail you know hours and hours and hours of training and preparation and sacrifice both you know time-wise and financially and time away from family to all of a sudden have a dodgy stomach, you know, mean that you can't finish the races, um, is pretty frustrating. So I think, you know, we need to be putting more and more time and effort into nutrition plans and practicing with said nutrition plans and testing things out and, and not just accepting that, yeah, you know, having a dodgy stomach is part of ultra running or whatever because it doesn't kind of have to be that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's just a case of, you know, sort of problem solving and working out what does work for you and, um, you know, coming up with a bit of a game plan. Yeah, I am aware of Steph. She's amazing, actually. She's really yeah. good. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, like, she just completely, yeah, I mean, I, I was literally just at a point where I was like, holy shit, like, what what can I do? And, and and I was at the point at the end of 2018, I was just like, oh, I'm kind of done. This is just stupid, you know? Like, and I vividly remember going into the Hong Kong 100 um, that started 2019 and um, would being put, put me on, like, a low FODMAP diet and stuff and taken away, you know, certain things and then... Um, God, she sort of had me on a pretty simple kind of eating plan, but just some specific kind of stuff in the day leading into the race and stuff. And I remember getting like 60K into the Hong Kong 100, and I was like, holy shit, my, my stomach's good. Like, this is, man, this is awesome. And it was just like such a foreign concept to be like, you know, five, six hours into a race and still have a happy stomach and being able to, you know, push hard and run how I wanted to run and not have my stomach as, you know, being a limiting factor sort of thing. So, yeah. Such a success. I'm yeah. glad to hear you got over there. Yeah, yeah otherwise yeah. very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Sorry, two seconds. Sorry, two seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, so I just um I just got a puppy a uh, week and a week and a bit ago. Um so she's yeah, running amok currently outside again, but yeah. It's full on. Puppies are like children. <laughs> 
Oh, I reckon I've I've got a six year old, but I reckon the puppy's even worse. Like, man, it's just insane. Like, hundred miles. I got a um a border collie cross kelpie, and um oh. yeah, she's definitely full of beans. So yeah, we'll have your hands full. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, a good running dog. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. So um, you've got the crater room coming up, oh, so, and then yeah. heading to Western Australia. Oh, no, so, yeah, so I've got the Crater Room coming up on Sunday, um, and so I'm doing the 30K there, and then um, at the end of October, the 29th, I think it is, I'll be racing in the Ultra Trail Australia 100K, um, which is one of the kind of the UTMB World Series races, um, and so, yeah, so I'll do that, and then, and then you're back to New Zealand for a bit, and then um, the beginning of December, head over to Thailand, and I'll do the Thailand by UTMB 100K, um, yeah, presuming everything goes well um, at Australia, so that'll be kind of the last race for the season, and then it'll be... Yeah, kind of relax and chill out and, um, yeah, eat some, some yummy food and drink some beers and enjoy Christmas and stuff. And then, um, yeah, kind of probably sometime in, you know, kind of late January, early February, um, start to ease back into some kind of more structured training and stuff um, to get sort of ready for next season. So Yeah. How, how do you prepare coming from Christchurch for a race in Thailand with the heat and humidity? <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you know in about two months' time how well I go. Yeah, um, a, a bit of it will be um, kind of, two weeks to sort of a week out from, from leaving. Um, I'll be doing some training sessions and then sort of, you know, jumping in a sauna for, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes afterwards sort of thing, um, just to get, sort of get some heat exposure that way. Because the reality is, is that whatever I do here in Christchurch is not going to be, you know, 28 degrees and 200% humidity like it's probably going to be in Thailand sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's just a case of um, just, you know, getting some exposure in, in the sauna and um, hopefully getting as comfortable as I can with that. Um, and then, yeah, there may possibly be an opportunity to um, to get an indoor, like an exercise bike inside a sauna um, at a place here in Christchurch. Um, but, yeah, but other than, other than that, yeah, it'll just be, um, yeah, hopefully we can have some kind of heat wave over the next, um, <laughs> next week. Well, mind you, based off what we've been having, like we had, obviously had snow here last week for a couple of days. And, um, yeah, so it's not quite ideal preparing for racing Thailand. But, um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, Thailand races, um, you know, at the end of the season and, um yeah, it'll be what it'll be, and um, yeah, we'll just have to go in there as prepared as I can be, knowing that, yes, yeah, some races you can prepare for, I guess, certain conditions and certain types of races better than others, and um, yeah, the reality is that, yeah, living in Christchurch isn't the best for, you know, training for a race in, in Southeast Asia, so. Where, whereabouts is your favourite place to run in the world? Would you say it's back home or overseas? Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing quite like running running here at home, like, um yeah, I love I love running up in Arthur's Pass um, and up in the Craigieburns and stuff like that's pretty cool. And it, it is just like a different feeling running running at home versus running. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like you know, places around the world, the Dolomites and the, the Alps and the Pyrenees and stuff are all super beautiful and stuff. But yeah, running back home, it's just like real. Yeah, I don't know. There's obviously just certain sounds and smells and the feeling that you have running in New Zealand and being you know being from from New Zealand. So. That's pretty cool, but um, yeah, the, the Dolomites are pretty special. Um, I've been there quite a few times, and it's um, yeah, it's pretty amazing up there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, Andorra, um, which is a small country between France and Spain, um, so I've been there yeah quite a few times over the last few years, and um, yes, it's just up in the Pyrenees, and yeah, that's um, yeah, just trail running, mountain running paradise up there. So it's um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty cool spot. So yeah, definitely enjoy getting there when I can. Oxford Odyssey in May this year. Yeah, you won it in about five hours twenty. I just looked it up before actually, um, which is yeah. a really speedy time. Now they claim that event to be the toughest marathon in New Zealand. Um, would yeah. you agree with that based off other events you've done? Yeah, I'd almost say it's probably one of the toughest marathons in the world. To be honest, like it's um, yeah. I mean Oxford. I mean yeah, it's literally an hour from from where I'm sitting now, and it's just. 
Yeah, I mean, 42K with nearly 3,000 metres of climbing on technical terrain like you get at Mount Oxford. Um, yeah, it's a pretty tough day out. And I remember, yeah, probably 30K in because um, it was quite sort of early in my kind of build-up um, after I'd had a bit of a niggle and injury um, through sort of March, April. And, um, yeah, I remember being like 30K and just thinking like, oh, holy heck, like, what have I done? Why did I choose to kind of have my first race back at Oxford? Knowing, because, I mean, I train on Mount, Mount Oxford all the time sort of thing. But, um yeah, it's a tough race, and I've always had so much respect for any, you know, friends or family that have ever done any of the events at, at Oxford because, um, yeah, it's just obviously a massive climb and technical terrain. And, um, yeah, no, I, was, I was definitely stoked to be able to do the race this year. It's, um, you know, it's definitely a good one to have on the calendar. So, Have you done Mission Mount Summers before? Yeah, yeah, I did that in, uh, I think it must have been 2020, I think. Um, and yeah, again, another like absolute belter of a race. And, um, it's actually, I was, I was gutted because I looked at the race calendar and it's actually on the same weekend as Ultra Trail Australia. So I won't be able to, yeah, to do Mount Summers. But, um, yeah, I was actually talking to a, a coaching client this morning. He was asking about races and um, he's going to be signing up for the marathon. Um, once I told him a bit about it, he was um, pretty excited. So, um, yeah, but no, that's another yeah awesome race. And, and again, so close to Christchurch. And, um, yeah, it's just sort of, yeah, just sort of highlights, um, you know, well, I guess, yeah, Christchurch and this sort of general area for trail running and mountain running up some pretty special places nearby. Yeah, special place and incredibly hard route. So if you're up for a challenge, yeah. it's a goodie. Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, I'd have to say Oxford's definitely tougher. But, yeah, Mount, Mission Mount Summers is definitely like a very, very close second. Um, yeah, again, just some of the terrain um, in, that, in that last sort of half of the Mission Mount Summers is, is pretty challenging. So, um, yeah, some, two definitely very tough races. Mm, yeah, we're lucky here, actually, with races. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. So in a typical week for you training, I mean, you're probably tapering towards Crater Room at the moment, but what's like a standard pretty full week for you with like distance, vert, time? Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, to be honest, it just completely depends on the race that I'm training for. Um, yeah, like, I mean, even just my, my next two races, so like Ultra Trail Australia and UTMB Thailand, um, they're going to be, yeah, dare, dare I say it, very runnable kind of ultras um, in the sense that, yeah, Ultra Trail Australia is only, sorry, it's 100k, but it's only got 4,500 metres of climbing. And so, yeah, I've done the race I think, three times. Yeah, yeah. Which again, I guess I need to be careful when I'm explaining things. But I guess for me personally, like it, it is a very like it. I mean, my my fastest time on Ultra Trail Australia course was eight hours fifty six, um, and the slowest was ten hours. And so, yeah, I guess even at ten hours, you know, that's six minute K pace for a race of a hundred K. So it's it's pretty runnable um, for the most part. And so, yeah, training since sort of getting back from Europe and recovering from COVID and stuff has been. Yeah, a lot more focused on more runnable terrain and trails and stuff. So last week actually was my biggest week training ever, and I did 180k, but that only had like six and a half thousand meters of climbing, I think it was. Um, whereas when I was training for like UTMB, um, I'd have some weeks that were sort of yeah 130, 150k, but there'd be you know 10,000 or 11,000 meters of climbing, um, or you know elevation gain, and so yeah, it t- totally just depends on you know the race that I'm training for and stuff. Um, and yeah, so just training as specific as I can for the type of race that I'm doing. Um, and so yeah, just trying to get, get a bit more kind of runnable trails and stuff in at the moment. And, um, yeah, just get comfortable running faster for longer. Cause to be fair, it's something that I didn't really do a whole heap of or focus too much on in the build up to UTMB just because, yeah, UTMB is 170k with, you know, over 10,000 meters of climbing. So it's just a, you know, totally different kind of race. Mm. Oh, that's huge weeks. Massive. You- yeah, and so that's the thing. Yeah, I was just gonna say, and so that's the thing with like my training this year, and um, it's just been, 
as consistent as it's ever been. Like, I mean, in 2019, when I was uh, the year I was 30 UTMB, um, like I was averaging only 80k a week. And so it's sort of been gradually building and progressing to the point now where I can kind of handle 120, 50, and then now 180k a week. And um, yeah, touch wood, um, the body's been responding really well. And um, yeah, I'm feeling definitely, definitely tired as you'd expect, but um, you know, feeling really good. And um, yeah, just and again, just so I guess go back to the nutrition side of things, just eating heaps and recovering well, and just looking after my body. And so it's not a case of like, oh hey, you know, hey Scotty, you had a great 180k week, that ends. You know, your body's a mess and you're fatigued and tired. It's like now I'm kind of like, no, 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 I'm ready to. I'm, I'm running this afternoon. I'm actually sitting here like, man, I'm actually really looking forward to running this Ava, and I've got the race on Sunday, and so um, yeah, things are definitely in a really good spot at the moment, which is um, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Far out. Um, and how are you feeling about the race on Sunday? Oh, it'll be interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I really don't know. Like, I mean, my legs are definitely tired and fatigued from training in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's kind of been, yeah, my coach has kind of set the plan in the build up to Ultra Trail Australia in the sense of like, if we can kind of get through this, then you'll be red hot, firing, ready to go. Um, and if you kind of can't get through this, it's kind of just indicating that, hey, you know, maybe you're not quite ready. Maybe we'll drop down from the 100K to the 50K or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, honestly, um, I'm feeling pretty good. I've got a pretty massive week this week as well leading into the Crater Room race. Um, yeah, the Crater Room, I'm, I'm doing it as a race, sort of just, you know, kind of as a bit of a hit out. Um, and also just because yeah, it's obviously a bigger event here in Christchurch and I've got some friends and family running. So I thought I needed to run 30K this weekend anyway. So I thought I might as well sort of use that. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling feeling pretty good. And um yeah, we'll see how the leagues go. But, um, yeah, the focus is, you know, definitely on, on the race in a couple of weeks' time in, in the Blue Mountains in Australia. And, um, yeah, so that's where I just need to be careful um, this Sunday and, um, yeah, try and, you know, practice what I preach and um, not get too carried away and, um, you know, do anything stupid. So, um, but, no, I'm looking forward to racing again. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the crater room, I mean, I run it just about every day. And it's like I'm still taking the same photos years later to what I was taking years ago just because it's so beautiful and, you know, awesome trails and scenery and stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Sunday. And you said not long ago you've recently come back from COVID. Yep. Is, how did you find that with training? Did you have to take much time off and getting back into running? Did you feel okay? Yeah, I was – I think I've been – well, I know I've been very lucky compared to some others for sure. Um, I unfortunately caught it, it coincided with coming back from Europe. And so – yeah, I, I left, what did I do? I left Barcelona on, on the Tuesday and then by the time I got to Brisbane on the Thursday night for a stop over there, um, I was just sort of like, eh, okay, something's not quite right. And then um, I tested on Friday, came back negative, but then tested again on the following Tuesday um, after a weekend of yeah, just sort of feeling super tired and fatigued. But yeah, I had probably yeah two or three days of yeah just super tired and some kind of body aches and stuff. And then... Um, yeah, the first couple of runs, like, yeah, my average heart rate was, you know, through the roof compared to what it would have normally have been. And so, um, yeah, it was probably five or six runs um, in the space of a week where it was just like, let's just be really careful. And, um, yeah, for the first time ever, I was sort of just using using my heart rate monitor to, to actually, you know, to keep an eye on things during the run, which is something I don't normally do. Um, and, um, yeah, but then, yeah, to be honest, I don't know whether COVID's kind of supercharged me or whatever it is, but, um, yeah, like, I'm only two two and a bit weeks after having it and um yeah i'm back to feeling yeah pretty pretty good and um well sort of re- really good to be honest and um yeah training's been really consistent and um yeah i'm feeling really good so i just need to yeah keep keep looking after myself now but um yeah i think i definitely got the you know the milder strain or whatever it was because to be fair i think 
yeah, a lot of the fatigue that I was kind of having the weekend I got back, um, that was just from traveling for 45 hours back from Europe and, you know, travel and jet lag and stuff. So um, I think it was more that than actually COVID itself, which would, yeah, kind of make sense that I got a mild strain because, yeah, the way I bounced back, if they had it been kind of a, you know, a, a stronger strain or, you know, more effects, then, um, yeah, I wouldn't be kind of doing what I'm doing now, so... Oh, I'm glad to hear you're sounding pretty okay and bounce back well. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah With the heart rate, do you just from what you said, do you not often use a heart rate strap or monitor it closely in all your training, or what? What do you use? No, so sometimes, um, sometimes I'll use it personally, like every now and again, just for easy runs. Um, just because, yeah, I'm as bad as anyone sometimes at making easy runs a little bit too hard, and so sometimes it's just like, hey, here's a metric that we can kind of use with other things to keep an eye on things and to be running you know an effort that we should be running and stuff and the same with my coaching clients like I don't specifically say hey let's target zone this or zone that or target between you know this this beat and this beat for this session or whatever it is um and that's just again just part of my coaching style and sort of how I've been kind of coaching for a long time now um and again it's like a lot of things some coaches are going to swear by heart rate training some are going to say hey you're wasting your time um and so everyone can kind of work out, you know, what they want to do. I still have some clients that use heart rate and then I give them some guidance on it. Um, but it's more a case of like, hey, you know, let's try and stay below this to keep things easy or, you know, nothing kind of too, you know, kind of too, I guess, confined in the sense of, um, you know, kind of giving them brackets to sort of hit. Um, just with, yeah, again, it's just my position and viewpoint on it with so many external factors affecting heart rate from, you know, day to day, to day week to week type stuff that it's just not quite as a consistent variable as, yeah, what I think others and and again part of it as well as I'm coaching trail and ultra runners and stuff like that and um and so yeah I just feel that there's you know learning to you know run to perceive effort and getting an understanding for feel and stuff like that is going to be more beneficial. It sometimes takes a bit longer, but then once you do get to that point where you can yeah learn to run to feel a bit more and stuff. Um, definitely when you're in the mountains and stuff like that, um, it's definitely a yeah pretty pretty good way of um you know going about things. So. Mm. it's important to go by feel isn't it I mean heart rate I think plays a part but like you know if you have a bad night's sleep you get up you have a strong coffee a whole heap of caffeine <laughs> you go out and it feels yeah. easy but your heart rate's like 160 well yeah. you know you yeah, get tied I, up I, in I'm, these numbers and stress about it when really yeah. it's just your physiology that's not quite on point that day so yeah 100% yeah exactly. and that's the thing and that's sort of what I say and I think people don't I think probably there's probably I don't know whether it's a lack of education or understanding around the, yeah, like I just, and you just said there, like the external factors that affect, you know, heart rate, um, you know, caffeine and sleep being massive component in so many people's lives, um, not taking into account, you know, family, work, business, stress, um, and, and everything like that. It's kind of like, man, how are we, you know, you've got these numbers, but it's kind of like, you're going to wake up some mornings where the numbers don't mean the paper that they're written down on kind of thing, because, they're so far off, and even even with the, to go back to talking about COVID before, like I had, you know, a couple of the runs when that I was doing just after I tested positive, the first couple of runs back, and like I was running along, you know, what felt kind of like pretty easily, but yeah, again, my, my heart rate was like 172 average for a run, and I was like, holy heck, this is like higher than threshold normally, um, but it felt easier, and so for me to go, hey, okay, sweetie, like you need to get back to, you know, high 130s, low 140s, I would have been having to like walk a step, stop walk a step's top mm. because my heart rate was going to be so you know elevated and obviously COVID was impacting that to be honest I probably had four coffees that day as well and so <laughs> it's just yeah there's just so much stuff that does affect it from a day-to-day type thing and so um I think yeah not just saying hey 
heart rate's just too variable, we're not going to bother with it. I think it definitely does have its place, and especially for recovery and stuff like that, and um, and things, and um, and obviously now with all these, you know, with the whoop bands and the arrow rings and stuff like that, I think they can be useful tools. But as long as we're doing something meaningful with the data instead of sort of getting too fixated in data and numbers and everything else, and again, as to go back to like why we're doing this in the first place because we we want to enjoy running and we're enjoying what we're doing sort of thing. So I think, you know, that's just another reason to just make sure that we are just kind of focusing on what we're, what we're doing and why we're doing it and stuff and, um, yeah, making sure we don't lose sight of that because, um, yeah, numbers numbers and graphs and fancy colours, you know, they look pretty, but at the end of the day we want to be making sure we're doing, you know, what we should be doing and, and enjoying it as well. So. Yeah, so well said. And data is only as helpful as what you do with it, isn't it? It's feedback. Like, oh. okay, we have some data. What can you do with it? Anything? If not, why stress about it? So yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. And that's sometimes where probably is maybe a downfall of some of the yeah some of the technology and the software and you know stuff like that is that yeah it's almost just like we bombard people and athletes with like way more information than anyone's going to be able to translate and do anything meaningful with. Um, and so then it's kind of just like. What's what's the point? Like, why why do we need all these numbers and graphs and you know everything else? Because unless you're actually going to do something constructive with it, it's just sort of you know adding fuel to a negative kind of fire, I guess, in the sense that it's just you know giving people you know anxiety because this number's saying that or that's saying that, and it's just like no, no, let's just strip it down and strip it back and focus on what we can you know kind of do and control and um, stuff that can be yeah translated and understood by people as well. I think is a big part as well. So and just get back to the joy of running. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, even for you know, even for bloody Elliot Kipchoge running his you know stupid fast marathons, you know, he he runs because he loves running. Like he does it faster than everyone. But um, at the end of the day, he's you know running because he loves running, and you can you can tell that he enjoys it, sort of thing. And so, um, even for someone at that level, where yeah, there's a there's a lot of science based based stuff and evidence based stuff with regards to you know structure and pacing and splits, because obviously you know the road running environment is a lot more controlled. Um, you know, he's still out there enjoying his easy runs with his mates and all that kind of stuff as well. So I think it's just important to, you know, again, regardless of what level you're at, just don't lose sight of why you're doing it and just remember it is why you got into it in the first place. Is, um, and for most people, that is because it's fun and enjoyable and, you know, kind of serving a purpose for, you know, one way or another. So Before we get into the quick fire five to finish, I won't hold you up from your afternoon yeah. run for too much longer. Um, oh, good. <laughs> how... A lot of us tend to tie our identity up with our career or with running and then if something happens and we are maybe no longer doing that temporarily, it can really affect us mentally. So your career is tied up in running entirely with coaching <laughs> and what you do. So yeah, yeah. has there been times when you've been really unwell or injured where that's been really challenging? Yeah, way too often, unfortunately. Yeah, like and obviously just the nature of the sport and stuff. Um, yeah, there's there's been yeah. To, to be honest, like if I think back to yeah, probably from 2017 until now. Um, I mean, I, I don't know exactly. I'd have to work it out, but there'd almost be as much time kind of sitting on the sidelines, recovering from injuries and surgeries as what I've been kind of training and you know racing kind of thing. Um, and so yeah, I think for me, it is probably a bit more difficult in some ways just because yeah as you say like I'm you know running professionally is my job but then I'm coaching so I'm kind of still involved in running there's not this complete kind of disconnect and I can go and do another job that has absolutely nothing to do with running or do something else that has nothing to do with running um and saying that like in the last few years I've been trying to sort of get into um a few kind of different sports or you know focus on different things I really enjoy um, photography and stuff as well so sort of trying to delve into that a little bit more 
Um, and so, yeah, just sort of trying to find things outside of running that give me enjoyment and, you know, stuff like that. And even if it's just, you know, going to catch up with a mate for coffee and, you know, almost saying at the start, all right, no run talk today, we'll just talk about, you know, other stuff or whatever it is. Because, yeah, I think it's important to, yeah, not just see yourself as a runner or as, as a, you know, whatever it is. Because, um, yeah, as you said, you know, like that that is going to be taken away from you at some point in time if you want to play this sport. And so you kind of need to have a bit of a, you know, backup plan or something to, kind of fall back on in a way because um otherwise yeah it can be really tough and um yeah and I'm, I'm just because I kind of do what I do professionally it doesn't make it any easier um and to be honest it probably makes it almost harder when I can't run because um yeah so much of my life is tied into it so I'm definitely a I'll call it a work in progress and um you know stuff that I'm definitely working on and you know continuing to do so so yeah no love that it's a tricky one isn't it but yeah we always have yeah. things we're working on <laughs> yeah oh, for sure that's it yeah yeah cool oh well it's been great today thanks scotty i have recently just started integrating a quick fire five to finish so i'm gonna throw yep. them at you uh so first yeah, cool. one is what is your favorite meal oh favorite meal um probably have to be uh probably have to be sushi i think sushi yeah, yeah. the, the sun-fed chicken sushi from um st pierre's is pretty good so i'm a bit of a fan of that <laughs> We've already covered the next one a little bit, but if you had to pick one location that you had to run on for the rest of your life, where would it be? Oh, um, oh, probably Port Hills, I think, is kind of, yeah, quite as it seems. Yeah, I just, it's it's just home, you know, and, and running, running at home is not really much better than it, so, yeah. Nothing beats it. Uh, yeah. A favourite book you'd recommend? Favourite book? Um, probably Tuesdays with Mori. Um, I read that like years and years ago. Um, and yeah, it was just about a, a young guy who was sort of going to talk to with his granddad and stuff. And um, I, I'm literally talking 25 years ago that I read it, so I can't remember it too much. But um, I just remember having yeah, fond memory. I don't read a whole lot now apart from yeah, research articles and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, but other than that, yeah, actually, um, yeah, the some of the some of the running books and stuff um, that you know that are out now. Um, you know, Killian's book's pretty cool, and um, my coach David Roach, um, Happy Runner, has a book as well, which is pretty cool. So um, for runners, though, yeah, a couple of definitely good ones to, to get stuck into. What's an accessory or gadget you would never leave home without on a run? Uh, probably my sunglasses, I think. Yeah, my eyes are overly sensitive. So um, I'm, to be honest, I probably wouldn't be able to leave home without them because I'd get outside and start squinting and then remember I'd forgotten them. So, yeah, I definitely wouldn't wouldn't go for a run without my sunnies. Um, yeah, I mean, even even in crappy crisis weather, I normally take them out because chances are half an hour later the sun's probably going to pop out, so I might need them. So. All that sun protection as well. Yeah, 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 yeah that's <laughs> it. Uh, and lastly, what is a simple piece of advice you would tell your 10-year-old self? 10-year-old self? Um... Oh, just have fun, I think. Yeah, just with, yeah, just do things that bring you enjoyment, you know. Um, I think, yeah, for me now, even as a 35-year-old, I'm still just trying to just do fun stuff and live as much of the dream as I can and I'm um, trying to be a bit of a grown-up sometimes. But just, yeah, just keeping things fun. And, um, yeah, I think even in the last, you know, couple of years with COVID and stuff, everyone's had a bit of a, you know, kind of perspective change or shift and stuff. And, um, you know, you find it, you know, looking at things and what really matters and what really counts. And um, so, yeah, I think just, you know, trying to enjoy, you know, the time that you have here as much as you can because yeah, it's obviously not infinite. So just, um, yeah, for me, just trying to keep keep things fun and have a laugh and, um, you know, enjoy as much as I can. So Yeah, don't take things too seriously. 
Yeah, for sure. Cool. No, I love that. Oh, Scotty, thanks so much for your time. I'm very, very grateful to have you on and so good to pick your running brain on everything from UTMB to what you typically get up to. So, yeah, thanks so much and might see you out there running on the pothole sometime. Yeah, cool. No, sounds good.